1989, I arrived in Chicago for the first time on a road to discovering my new home. 30 years later, I'm leaving Chicago for the desert. I'm Don Hall. Welcome to Peculiar Journeys. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn So get those stakes up higher There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there They're all living the devil may care And I'm just a devil with love to spare So Viva Las Vegas Viva Are you moving to Vegas for a job? A common question, and the answer is twofold. No, I don't have a job here yet. I'm definitely that brand of bold or stupid who leaps first and hopes the landing doesn't shatter my femur. Yes, I moved here for the work and that Vegas is about events, and that's the resume I've built over 30 years. I had some interviews even before we found our place to live, and that was heartening. I'm working with a freelance rep company as well, and that's a good thing. I spent the first two weeks here unboxing and getting moved in. Now I spend each day applying for gigs, both full-time and freelance, both ones I'm eminently qualified for and ones I'm completely unqualified for but sound fun, making connections with folks here I should know, blurted the city. I was surprised when I got a call for an interview for a special events managing position set up and managing a front of house, green rooms for talent and VIPs, merchandising, etc. For a major sports organization based in Vegas, they will be unnamed. I'm not a sports guy. I don't watch sports, don't follow sports, just not my bag. This company, however, is a bit of a big deal, and the pay was a bit ridiculous, so I said, why not? The first interview went great. I wore a suit and tie, I was overqualified, but not by a lot. I had them laughing the whole time. While I had almost no direct knowledge of the company's sport, I had the job itself soaking from my pores. The questions were pretty standard. My approach is to tell stories that exemplify what they're looking for based on those very standard questions. Hugo, the boss in charge, was a bit intimidating. Wearing what looked like a $5,000 suit, underneath was a guy I guess was both ripped and likely had a number of jailhouse tattoos. The guy looked like he could rip off his shirt and consume me whole without even bothering to chew. But he liked me. He laughed at my quips. The interview felt more like a conversation at a bar, and the others in the room followed his lead. I left feeling pretty solid. If I wasn't being strongly considered for the gig, I'd completely misread the room. As I'm understanding things in Vegas, most of the events job, uh, jobs I am either wildly overqualified for, or strangely underqualified for, or a 53-year-old white guy. I have no beef with any of these reasons to knock out of consideration. I know what I can do, and I have no problem not getting hired for a job I dislike anyway. And sure enough, I was called in for a second interview. Hugo emailed that I could dress more casually. I'm not wearing my $5,000 suit so you can wear jeans, and that he was looking forward to it. It was in the same conference room as before, except this time there were three chairs where before there was one. On the left was a 35 to 40-year-old woman of Asian descent. I came in, introduced myself to her, and sat down. She really wasn't in the mood for chit-chat, so we sat in silence until the crew of four dudes came in, including Hugo, and greeted us. A couple of, you know, off-the-cuff remarks, and we're all smiles. And the door opens one last time, and in walks Olivia Munn. I mean, not the actual 
Olivia Munn, but a tall, thin woman who looked a lot like Olivia Munn. Dressed like a stripper with money. I mean, this woman was breathtaking and knew it. All four dudes stood and greeted her like royalty had entered the room. She sat to my right. Now, I'll admit, just off the bat, a bit of sexist bias entering my mind at the moment. It's not right, it's not fair, but it did. I looked to my left, and she was fairly low-key and quiet. I looked to my right and automatically assumed, assumed a woman this put together, this unbelievably beautiful, couldn't possibly be smart. She looked about 25, so I had her on experience. After a moment of pleasantries, we understand this is an unusual interview model, the melee, and it was a melee, ensued. Kim, the boss began, the Kim wasn't her name, but that's what we'll say it is. Let's say you're dealing with an event and you're working the VIP green room. A high-powered guest is upset that the beverage options do not have his requested liquor and you're juggling with the ticket office who are having problems with a large group. What's your strategy? Well, Kim answered quietly, but her answer is solid. Logistic while prioritizing both the VIP and the large group. It's a good answer. Done, the focus shifts to me. What do you think of her answer? What? Do they want me to criticize her strategy in front of her? Is this, is this how this is going to go? Um, well, I mean, I think I think she just about nailed it. I suppose I might change the order of service depending on who the VIP was and how big a deal it was to the organization, but otherwise she seems spot on. Olivia, Madam O was not surprised by this method or didn't show it at all and immediately shredded Kim's answer without hesitation. She obviously knew the culture of these events my bias was shattered like a rotten cantaloupe as it became immediately apparent this supermodel sitting next to me on my right was blisteringly smart as well as unbelievably hot. She knew her shit cold. This process went on for about 30 minutes. Kim was really not into it and her discomfort and disdain was obvious. Olivia Light was completely into it, and her razor-sharp answers and merciless critiques of both Kim's and my answers was absolutely carnivorous. I straddled the line. I knew it can go, I couldn't go for the jugular with either because one was kind of laying down for the fight and the other was a fucking goddess with a verbal bludgeon. I, <coughs> I couldn't go with experience because that's ageism, and she obviously knew far more than I did about the company. The hiring quartet couldn't stop looking at her like a group of teenagers in front of a game of Fortnite. So I kept it light. I tried to be thorough but made jokes despite the fact that no one was staring at my tits. So why should we hire you instead of the other two candidates? Kim was finished finished 10 minutes before, so her answer was less than enthusiastic. The Munster basically called Kim a doormat and me an old man. My answer? I think Kim is super qualified, but I get the sense she's more of a logistic person than a customer service type and no respect, disrespect intended. And I referenced the hot body to my right. She is going to be very distracting to work with. Everyone laughed except for boobs mixed legs. As we were all leaving, I pulled Hugo aside and handed him my sexy new Moo business card. Thanks for the interview. That was weird. If for some reason, and I glanced at the Sports Illustrated cover still holding court with the other three, I don't land the gig, I'll be here in Vegas. Would love to work with you if the need arises. I mean, it sounds defeatist, but come on. I would have hired Olivia. She was awesome.
babies. Want to hear about my first job in ye old Las Vegas? It lasted about four hours. Now, if you're a gig-type working girl, you wouldn't bat an eye at that number. Hope the cash in hand was nice or got a check on the spot, yeah, is what she'd say. Um, I'd tell her now with an apologetic shrug, I didn't burn myself. And I finished the shift, which I did, and then some. I had to ask a kid out on the floor to tell me the time because they took my phone away. I had worked nearly an hour beyond my slated clock-out time because no one in the office bothered to tap me, and I never witnessed or signed off on a timesheet of any sort. Events, among many, to herald the unfortunate and chagrin-filled tidings of my initiation into a new subgroup of American workforce, quitters after the first day. My heart grew heavy mid-shift as I wiped tables and mulled over the certain excessive anal retentiveness of some of the patterns I was seeing in the kitchen in an artlessly obsessive effort to avoid any level of waste. Here was this random job in my neighborhood, something with which to get started, reminding me of childhood and good times spent on any afternoon or evening I could get away with asking my parents for a ride, plus admission and concession dollars so I could go hang out with some friends. Work-wise, I wouldn't ever have to take it home with me. I could walk to and from, and it was active. I was sure it would be easy, and surely it was. Easy come, easy go, in Nevada, a right-to-work state. The official title must resemble something like Concessions and Party Hostess. Birthday parties on Mondays and shifts between 4.5 and 8 hours on a couple other days. Part, part-time. Non-negotiable. If you're already rolling your eyes at this nearly 40-year-old woman over here thinking for a minute that this was a good idea, you're absolutely right. I guess I'll shrug again and say, hey, I'll try just about anything once. A Friday. I show up early. Boss slash hiring manager and I arrive around the same time. Skate guard shows up and I'm doing paperwork, but there's no introduction. It doesn't take long to discover that only men are hired as skate guards and rental clerks and only women to sling overpriced soda and candy. I have to thank Jara, the other concessions worker, for even bothering to come in. She has just turned 21, has a toddler at home, is newly pregnant, I assume by the same father, who lives in Arizona, and has been nauseated at this nauseating job for just over two weeks, having trained herself on her first day. She was the first of two ladies who remarked to me, you're being watched at all times. It's no joke. All the owners do is watch the cameras. Then, it was only after being made aware of such document and upon request that at shift's end, I was given a short photocopied training manual, a glorified list of rules so jumbled, redundant, mean-spirited, out of idiocy, and poorly worded that when I read it later that evening, just before bed, it made me miffed enough to scribble all over the document with proofreader's marks and other notes. An outdated entry concerning a hot dog machine no longer in use refers to the food as hot dogs, then calls them wieners three times in a row before calling them hot dogs again. Here are a few additional fine examples. Shoes must be worn at all time. Pour remaining cheese in a plastic container and seal good. Be as nice to your customers as you possible can. Indeed, one after another number the astoundingly coffin-nail-shaped reasons why I decided after my swift and terrible tenure at Crystal Palace Skating Center of Boulder Highway that it was time to move on up the dusty trail. 
Naturally, it's my own dumb fault for not checking the ratings and reviews on the place first. Not sure what Yelp looks like, but more recent Google results have a fair amount of I would leave zero stars if I could level choice phrase about it. I'm supposed to go back there today. The shift is 11.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. They still have my health card I picked up so I could work with food and hospitality, so I've got to swing by and get that back. I don't expect I'll get paid for the time I did put in, but that's not even a concern at this point. One of my fellow hostesses asked how old I was, and when I wouldn't say, proceeded to guess 24. So I'm happy my energy and attitude were at least a good fit. And we got an expose out of it. Gonzo from the get-go, kiddos. Long live literate ape. A few days before all this, I'm shuffling down the strip and a native Chicagoan working in a shop steps out to pull me aside and compliment my fashion sense. I'm feeling raw, so I confide in him a little bit. The first year is the hardest, but you just keep at it. You'll find your niche, he says. This made me feel a lot better, even though I remain aware of the fact that, although many job opportunities will have me, Perhaps it's better, in most cases, to not be had. for work in a new town is daunting. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to take this leap was that my reputation and experience after three decades in Chicago started to feel a bit like one of those big elephant shackles on one leg. Going someplace where I was an unknown sounded good, fresh starts and all that, which effectively means that once I got to Vegas, I had to let Vegas know I was here and ready to go. Our living arrangement, while far from perfect, did allow Dana and I to explore options. She took initially what I call low-hanging fruit, jobs that required little more than a body and a semi-functioning brain in the trade-off of time for money. She landed a gig just like that at Samstown Casino, one of the oldest independent off-strip casinos in town, as a clerk in their bowling alley. Now, it was intentionally part-time. The comfort of something regular but not mentally taxing gave her more exploration opportunities. She decided at one point that she might want to be a body piercer, which required she apprentice with an established artist until she had enough credential to get into the field. She scoured Craigslist for pop-up gigs and copy editing, modeling, extra work, pretty much anything interesting that could garner some sort of a wage. My approach was different, in part because no one hires a 53-year-old white guy because they need a body. They hire my kind because of my experience, and that's about it. And then sometimes I'm 53, and I'm white, and I'm a guy, and that plays against me in this day and age. So, I'm going for the higher fruit on the tree and focused on doing things I love to do. 
The freelance approach is one way to go. So making contacts and networking is a large part of that. I reached out to several people in my existing network and used them to get into contact with folks here in Vegas. This included a local legislature later. This included a local legislator, an attorney storyteller, one of our literate ape contributors, and showing up at various events that were put on by organizations I think I might be able to leverage for work. It also included using the multiple online application services to blanket the place with my resume. One of these resulted in being contracted by Creative Circle, a Denver-based creative temp agency. I was contracted through them for a one-day scavenger hunt on the Strip. It was only $20 an hour, but it was only one day, and it gave me some time working in that specific location around the Flamingo, the Link, and Caesars Palace. It also gave me the most important thing I can get a foot in the door, an opportunity to show them who I am, what I can do. Well, I can report back that I received a lot of praise for that day from a coworker whom I met that day and subsequently have hung out with at Trivia Nights in Henderson, from the client, from the client's client, from Creative Circle, and it was fun. Hanging out in the middle of the Las Vegas Strip, getting paid to be out there, grabbing a beer on company time, and after five hours in the sun, that beer was fucking nectar of the gods despite being a can of Corona. Now, by the time you hear this, I may have a lot more work in this town. I hope so, or I'm starving to death, but I hope I hold to this tightly. I wrote a manifesto of sorts in the waning days as a cubicle monkey once. It went something like this. The hive mind requires that everyone fit into a tiny box of its design, created to minimize the risks of individual thought and a marginalization of creativity. It is compelling to justify one's participation in this machinery as individual thought and creativity are both dangerous to the hive, and participation provides the rewards of reasonable amounts of kibble and a slightly more solid footing in the money dogma. Most will comply. It's easier and... Well, they have rent to pay. And for many on their deathbeds, they will look back upon their time on the earth and see their life as a spreadsheet. The myth of individualism will be exposed for the absurd joke it has become, but it will be too late to reverse the course. Many have convinced themselves that this is the best box to be in and decorate the box with expressions of a person long since rendered soulless to convince themselves of their own existence. Those who refuse to comply will be labeled as subversive, antisocial, uncooperative, insane. Those who refuse may not change the world any more than a single blade of grass can change the direction of the wind, but there is art and beauty in the defiance. And on their deathbeds, in lieu of a spreadsheet, they will hear music and poetry. And to add to this manifesto, for like calling of anything else, remember that movie about the guy or girl in an office job she he or she hates, stuck in a rut of orderly existence until that crazy, chaotic other person blows into his or her life by chance and forces him or her to confront the mundanity of existence, living within the beyond within the boundaries of a nine to five gig, and taking him or her on an adventure filled with twists and turns and unexpected challenges, and they smash the walls of his or her carefully constructed glass house to reveal what truly being a Live means? Yeah, me too. Jack had played by the rules his whole life. He worked hard in high school and graduated in the top of his class. He got a scholarship to a solid state college and got his degree, met a woman, fell in love, got married, had a kid. 
He interviewed and was quickly hired for a prestigious job that paid a bit above the average. He and his wife bought a house, had two cars. Jack was in control of things. He paid his taxes on time. He paid his bills on time. He was living the American dream. As his son grew, things became a bit more expensive, what with the two cars and health care and school supplies and food by, for a grown boy. So Jack decided to take out a mortgage on his home. He filled out all the paperwork and arranged to make regular payments, and the whole family took a vacation to Disney World. And then one day, the bank decided to foreclose on his house and evict his family. What the fuck? cried Jack in disbelief. The bank was obviously wrong, but he refused to. But they refused to admit it. In the meantime, Jack and his family moved in with his brother, who then decided that Jack's wife was a hot piece of ass. The MILF label apparently fit. Jack's wife divorced him, and Jack, in his despair, managed to lose his job due to his living on the inside of a glass bottle of scotch for a month. As his liver started to fail, he checked himself into a neighborhood clinic, which was all he could afford, and one night looked up into the darkness and moaned out, Why? I had things under control. I did everything right. I was an upstanding citizen and a sound businessman. I played by the rules. Why am I here now? Control is an illusion, buddy. We'll build houses on fault lines and on beachfronts and then wonder what happened when nature decides to crush them or blow them away. We place our faith in institutions that do not, cannot, have our interest in mind and blow a gasket when it becomes known that we were just grist for their particular profit-driven mill. We think that if we fall in line, keep our heads down, and live an orderly life, that we'll live forever, and then chaos strikes, and we can't fathom it. Control, order just constructs we create to explain the unexplainable, to ward away the fact that each one of us is a fucking, is tiny, fucking tiny in the grand scope of things. Order is abstract. Chaos is concrete. Order exists to help the godless in a world that had to make up God to explain why droughts happen. Who are you? I'm the antithesis of everything Hallmark cards and horseship optimism. I'm the truth, baby. In the late 90s, a Chicago woman was walking down Wabash holding her child's hand. 40 floors above her, on the Wabash side of the CNR building, a loose window gently slid from its frame and fell like a heavy glass feather. The woman didn't see it coming. She was decapitated in an instant. I wonder what her thoughts were in her final seconds. Death was instantaneous and she didn't see it coming. I suspect, like most of us, she was worried about bills or petty slights at the office or the dishes that needed to be done. I suspect she was thinking about keeping her life in control, just like the rest of us. And I'm reminded that control is a diversion. Control is an attempt to make sense of things that simply defy rationality. And while trying to make the world and the billions of people and creatures and nature conform to our own safety bubble is commendable, it's much like commending Sisyphus for continuing to roll that fucking boulder of that fucking hill over and over again. I tell Sisyphus to leave the goddamn boulder and go live his life while the plate glass is still secure. I'm gonna keep on the run, I'm gonna have me some fun, it cost me my very last dime. 
Peculiar Journeys is a storytelling podcast. For previous seasons, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or online at donhall.vegas slash podcast. To support Peculiar Journeys, please review the show on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends or on social media, or go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and become a VIP patron by tossing me a few bucks. Thanks for listening. Let's